0: Chaos and the confusion, the destruction, and the heartbreak, the shock of 3,000 lives lost in a single day. But we also remember the great resolve of everyday people, the acts of heroism that brought us together, the men and women who stood in the gap somehow still fighting, giving every ounce of strength to help others. Decades have passed since that historic day. And in that time, we have learned that despite all the suffering and loss, our God remains faithful. Even when smoke and debris obscure our paths, His unfailing love will carry us through. As we remember those who were lost, let us honor their memory with our lives, giving our own strength to help the hurting, making sacrifices for those around us, and sharing the faith, which brings eternal hope and peace. This is our promise and our prayer for 9-11.
1: Twenty-one years ago, many of you will remember that event that shook the very fiber of our nation when a terrorist attack struck on our own soil. And I think as an American and as a Christian, we must never forget what happened in our lifetime. Um, Evil does evil things. But in the midst of the suffering and the pain and the evil that happened on that day, we saw the best of America come to the front. When people rose up to sacrifice and to serve hour after hour to rescue. And this morning I don't want in any way to trivialize what happened on that day or to spiritualize it. But I do think it captures the response of believers in times of tragedy. That believers will rise up to take the day, the moment. I believe that. And to make a difference. My concern is that there is another terrorist attack that is happening on the spiritual realm that we are largely um, unresponsive to. And that is the loss, deconstruction, backsliding, apostasy that's happening in our own world, in our own country. And my prayer is that we will have the same passion and concern over what's happening in the spiritual realm that we had on that day, on 9-11, which happened in the natural realm. There will always be people who fall away from the faith, and it's our job, as Tim so beautifully sang last Sunday, it's our responsibility to rescue the perishing and to care for the dying. So the question that I want to ask this morning as we move through this series is, what are we doing to accomplish that task? It's one thing to reach those who have never heard, and we absolutely need to do that. We need to reach those that are unchurched, that are not being touched by the church, but there are those that are de-churched, that have deconstructed their faith. That during this month when we say, come back to church in September, we need to look around at those that are missing and reach out to them. And someone asked me this week, what are we we doing about people that have drifted away? What is our responsibility? And I'm gonna suggest to you that the responsibility is simply this, If you see someone or know of someone, I should say, if you know of someone who was once here and no longer is, God's given you that awareness for you to respond to that need. Oh, thank you for both of you in that overwhelming roar of support. When you see a need, respond to it. So I'm wondering if the church, though, isn't sometimes guilty of creating an atmosphere that makes it easy for people to walk away from their faith. It's easy to look at people who walk away and blame them, but I think there comes a time where the church has to say, are we at all contributing to the problem? Is there something we should do differently? Is there something we're overlooking and one of the issues that I, that I really want us to kind of wrestle with this morning is the issue of how we deal with doubt. How do we respond to people who are doubting? How do we deal with our own doubts? And has the church become a place where everyone has to have it all figured out? Or is it a place where people can come and struggle without being condemned? Have we created an environment that you have to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and free of doubt, and, and, and always sure of everything? Have we created that kind of environment that doesn't allow people to come and be welcomed and loved and cared for when they don't understand, when they don't have it all figured out, when it doesn't make sense? There has always been and always will be people who doubt people like you, people like me. I cannot, in honesty, stand up here this morning and say to you that I am a mighty man of faith and power and that I never doubt and never waver in my faith. That would be a blatant lie because I also have moments like many of you do, all of you do it sometime. Where is God? What is he doing? What does faith really mean? Is God even hearing my prayer? It's always been the case in the book of Matthew chapter 28, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that amazing? The resurrected Christ has gathered them together on a mountain. They see him, and some worshiped. But when the resurrected Christ was in front of them, some doubted. And I would say to you this morning that while some are absorbing all they can get from God, others are wondering what's going on. That in the midst of the presence of Jesus, it's still possible to stand there and doubt. What did Jesus do about them? Well, he struck the doubters dead and buried them in shallow graves in the woods. No, Jesus came to them, who all of them, those who worshipped and those who doubted, and listened to what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me reminding them that the authority of faith doesn't rest in your ability to doubt or trust. All authority rests in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you believe that, your responsibility is to get busy about the work of the kingdom. If you believe that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ, then go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, that he will be there when you trust that he has authority and you engage in the work of the kingdom, he will be with you to the end of the journey. Doubt scares many of us. We've made believe and not doubt into a mantra rather than understanding it in a relational context. How often do we respond to ourselves or to others and just say, believe and don't doubt, believe and don't doubt, believe and don't doubt. And we've created this mantra that doubt is like COVID. To be avoided at all costs. It's contagious. Wear your gospel mask and get your vaccination and distance from people, lest you be infected by someone else's doubt. We push it away. We don't want to be touched by it. We want to ignore that it exists at all. I um told this story before, but when I grew, there was a period of time that we were all in church together, and I would hear pastors preach about the blasphemy about blasphemy against the holy spirit is the only unpardonable sin and that terrified me that I would do that, and then i go straight to hell, that nothing else would matter. See, I had more confidence in the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit than I had in the saving grace of Jesus. I didn't understand how it worked. And I asked my mother, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? And she's trying to simplify it for me. Maybe she didn't understand. But unfortunately, she said, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you say, I hate the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was not helpful. Every night after that, when I went to bed, I would hear that thought. I would almost see it coming. How many know what I'm saying? And I I would hear those words, um, I hate, and I would say, stop, stop, stop. And so to cope with that, I know you're going to think that I need therapy, and I probably do, but to cope with that, I would imagine a little man, a bricklayer inside my head and he would start building a brick wall of protection. And I didn't count sheep, I was counting bricks. And I'd count those bricks as he's putting them up. And that thought would come and I'd say, get the wall up, get the wall up. And I would fall asleep before the wall was completed or before I'd blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That, that's, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not exaggerating that at all, I was terrified. So then one night, the bricklayer was slow. And the thought got in before he built the wall. And I heard in my head, I hate the Holy Spirit. That was the best thing that could ever have happened to me. Because in that moment, I realized nothing had changed. I was still a follower of Jesus. I didn't feel condemned or lost. I knew by an assurance of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a child that I I just said out loud, no, that's a lie. I don't hate the Holy Spirit. And I was free. The bricklayer retired. (laughs) Because the very, listen to me, the very thing that I was afraid of was the thing that I needed to face in order to see my faith build and to be free. This has got to be a place where it's okay to express your doubts and not be condemned and respond to it in a biblical manner. We read scriptures like this, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And, and I'm just telling you, everyone in the room would say, yes, I believe that scripture, and everyone in the room would know it's not true in the way I just read it. No, oh, it is so quiet right now. When you read scripture and it doesn't work, it's not scripture that's wrong, it's your understanding that has failed. And when you hit that moment, stay there until an answer comes. So we say to people, well, you, if you just don't doubt, I have never in my life seen a person with enough faith to cast a mountain into the ocean. I think that would make the nightly news. I know I'm terrifying you right now. Is anybody with me? Walk with me. It's going to get worse before, it get, I mean, it's going to get better, but. You know, but we can't. We can't talk about that. We can't talk about what it really means, what really happens There. What about divine healing? Yes, God wants to heal everyone. And when it doesn't happen, we blame the sick person and say, well, somebody didn't have enough faith. No, maybe it's because we don't understand divine healing in a biblical context and what God is trying to accomplish and be willing to say, sometimes I don't understand and sometimes I have doubt, but I'm going to keep walking in the fellowship of believers till I find the answers that will sustain me. And let me tell you what the focus of that verse on casting the mountain into the sea really means. You see, we skip the verse that's ahead of that. We read that verse because we want to be mountain casters, and we skip what it says immediately in front of that. Have faith in God. Not faith in you, not faith in your confession, not faith that the mountain will move, but have faith in God. So what does it mean? It means if you have faith in God and God says, speak this and it'll happen, then you don't have doubt. Your doubt isn't in that the mountain will move. It's in the fact that what God has said will always be true. And you wanna know why no mountains have been cast? in the sea because God hasn't told anyone to do it and it becomes an unnecessary display rather than a redemptive act in the world that we live in have faith in God not in your miracle not in your petition not in your confession but have faith in God oh I'm gonna get cast out of the Pentecostal faith before this is over We tend to give answers that make us feel better and silence the questioners. Press in, hold on, pray harder, shout louder. And we tend to view it as a disease so people who doubt feel pushed to the outside in a place that should provide answers and care and love. Where we say we're journeying on this journey together. I received an email after last Sunday's message that said, I had some tough questions that some of God leaders couldn't answer. And and then went on to say, it bothers me when people tell me they just believe something. It's not okay with, I'm not okay with blind faith. That led me around in circles for years. Well, um, since it's someone who used to come here and... um, Had tough questions the Assembly of God leaders couldn't answer. I don't think it's a big jump to see me being challenged in that statement. (laughs) But I will tell you that there are answers and there are leaders who have answers and there are places you can go, but we shouldn't have to sit in a place of fear of asking the question and being judged as less than a believer when we're struggling with some issue of truth. This ought to be a safe place that we can hold one another up. Strengthen the feeble knees, lift up the hands that hang down. How many are hearing what I'm saying and understand what I'm talking about today? It's not something to be feared. It's something to respond to. The book that I read on letters to my friend who left the faith said this, deconstruction or backsliding, we would have called it, deconstruction stories often start like this. The author grew up in an American evangelical church where sometime during childhood they began asking deep spiritual questions of their mentors, pastors, and parents. In turn, they received naive roundabout answers, ended up with appeal to faith. Later, they got to know a skeptic who posed the same questions, unable to formulate a response. The author began to question the very idea of God. Now they express gratitude that they no longer live in ignorance. When we don't address and walk alongside and love and relationally connect with people who doubt, we we are, in a sense, enforcing their turning to skeptics rather than being able to walk with us. Because no one wants to be told, stop doubting, just believe. We want someone to say, I understand where you walk. And I will walk with you while we find the answer that God has for you. Come on, is there anybody in the house right now? The atmosphere in Christendom has to change to embrace those who doubt. And walk alongside Let me tell you this as a a statement of fact. Any question that has ever been asked by a doubter about Christian faith has been responded to in an insightful and reasonable way by a believer somewhere. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Any question that has ever been asked by a skeptic or a doubter about Christian faith has a reasonable, intelligent response written by a believer somewhere if we'll take the work and do the work to be able to find it. I believe that pat questions are just as wrong as pat answers. And you have skeptics out there asking these pat questions and those questions are just as wrong as people who are simply offering pat answers. Let's build a relational context to go on the journey. So how do we deal with those who are genuinely doubting? How do we deal with those who are struggling with doubt? How do we make this a safe place? How do you deal with your doubts? How do I deal with mine? What should be our response to that? That if we're going to reach those who have walked away, maybe part of the reason is because this hasn't been a safe place to have a discussion. I'm not saying that's always the case. But I'm thinking sometimes it might be. Well, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the first way to deal with doubt, boy, I wish I was done right now. It's really... The temperature has dropped. I see icicles on the. (laughs) The first place to begin, don't give up on me till I'm done. The first place to begin is to embrace your doubts. Pretense is not the same as faith. Denying doubt only weakens your faith. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Embracing your doubt is simply admitting that you have them ignoring them, hiding from them, pretending they aren't there. And I told this story recently, but I'm going to tell you again. I also had anxiety about a nice knife I had in a sheath that had a, a, a blade that I was afraid in the night I was going to stab myself to death. And so to uh, I had a long closet, so every night before bed when I wasn't worried about being blaspheming God, I was worried I was going to stab myself to death. So I'd grab that knife and I'd close my eyes and I'd throw it in the closet because I believed when I went looking for it, to kill myself I'd wake up and then I wouldn't do that isn't that a pathetic way to live I finally got through that I threw all my knives away no I didn't either I didn't either but that's what we do with our faith and doubt issues we think if we ignore them They'll just go away, and we'll be healthier if we don't deal with those. And I'm suggesting to you that the healthiest place you'll be is to simply embrace when you doubt. I had a friend that talked to me at the gym, and he said it like he was confessing some terrible sin. We were sitting there between games, and he said, you know, I just got to tell you, I'm not sure I believe in the Trinity. And I said, then you're going straight to hell, pal. It should be okay to say that and not be judged as an unbeliever. Come on, is there anyone in the house? Can't we just say, all right, and what did I say to him? I said, I'm a man of faith and power, and I've never doubted that in my life. I said to him, I I don't understand it either. I've never found an explanation that works for me. And we can talk about that and explore that together and maybe come to a greater understanding of the truth. But I've never met anyone that could put the infinite God defined in scripture as a trinity into finite words that works. Because the reality is you have to come to a place you understand that the finite cannot encompass the infinite. It's only the infinite that can encompass the finite. And when you can fully put God in your box, you've made him less than he is. And so there are times where we'll have to say, I don't get it. I don't understand it let's walk in this journey together and not just say just believe it but let's find a way to believe it let's find out what the truth is i've talked about in the past the mount of transfiguration and they're up on there worshiping and they want to build three tabernacles one for moses one for elijah one for jesus and they come down from the mountaintop and they find a boy in the valley, a dad in the valley with his son that's demon-possessed. And the disciples have been praying for that boy and they can't cast the devil out. And they come to Jesus. And I've, I've just suggested, it burns in my heart, that if your experience with Jesus on the mountaintop doesn't set people free in the valley, you didn't have anything real on the mountaintop. They came down from the presence of God and Jesus set that boy free. But I want you to listen to what the Father said. Sad. They had been praying for that boy. He tried everything to help that boy, tried everything that he could. And the father says, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yes, yes, Jesus, there are some things I believe, but I don't know how to get over here that I can believe this, and Jesus begins to pour into him. Jesus, listen to this, did not refuse to heal the boy because of the father's unbelief, He heard the confession of the father who said, I believe, but I I have some unbelief. He heard that. And in order to put him in a place where he wouldn't doubt again, Jesus responds, the boy is set free because the faith of the father needed to be in the power of the son of God. And when he saw that, Jesus moved him from a place of unbelief to a place of believing. When you admit your doubt or your struggle, he will not condemn you and leave you alone and tell you there's no hope for you. He will respond and give you exactly what you need. Jesus does not rebuke him, but leads him forward. I preached a message not so long ago where I said, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. And I would say the same about doubt. It's okay to have doubt, but it's not okay to live in doubt. It's okay to have doubt and own that and embrace that, but that requires some other things of a believer that I'm not telling you this is a destination, it's part of a journey, but I am suggesting that you can't begin that journey to a stronger faith if you're unwilling to admit that you have doubts that have to be addressed and we can't help people move forward in their faith if we create a paradigm where they're condemned if they have questions or they have doubt. Embrace it. Everyone in this room, if you're honest, have doubted your faith, have doubted God, have doubted something in your experience, and some of you are doubting right now, and you may be here wondering if it's worth carrying on. And I'm saying to you, we're not afraid of hearing your doubts. This is a safe place for you to say, I do struggle, and let's walk on the journey together. Let's do this together. You start by embracing your doubts. Not being afraid of them. Admitting where you truly are. Jesus said he can't help people who are healthy. The great physician did not come to heal the healthy. He came to heal the sick. And you have to admit that in order to receive his help. So then what do you do? Once you embrace it, the next step, I believe, is to engage your doubts. You don't just embrace them, make them a pet and put them over the fireplace and get it out for your friends and say, hey, do you wanna come and help feed my doubts? I give them an apple every night and a hamburger. You, you have to engage it. You have to engage the process. The Bible tells us about a man named Jacob. And Jacob means deceiver. And Jacob had all kinds of problems. And at one point in his journey, he builds an altar at a place called Mahanaim, which means two camps. And what he does in Mahanaim is he has left home, he's cheated his brother, deceived his brother, got the birthright and the blessing as the younger brother that had been prophesied to him, but was entered into by human effort rather than trust in God. And there comes a point that his mother sends him to a far country fearful that Esau is going to kill him. So he's gone to a far country. He's married. He has two wives. They have children. He's amassed some wealth and he hears that Esau is coming at him with armies. How many of of you would that make you nervous? My older brother that I've cheated that I've stolen from is coming to get me. He'd had a promise. God said to him, Know that I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. Bring you back to this land. I will never leave you until I've done what I've promised. So he's in the place of the promise, but he sees his brother coming and he's doubting the promise. And he divides his family into two groups, sends them on their way so that Esau will only be able to kill half of them, won't be able to kill all of them, and he's alone. You ever been there? I know what I want to believe, but I know what I see. I said, I know what I want to believe, but I know what I see, and I don't know what God is going to do. Well, rely on what he has said, and the Bible says that that night, as he's wrestling with his doubts and his fears over the promise God had given him, that a man came to him (laughs) and began to wrestle with him. Now, I firmly believe that what happens in that chapter is not an angel, not an angelic being, but is rather what is called the Christophany, a pre-incarnate Christ, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, that the Son of God appears to him and they begin to wrestle. And when the man saw that he could not prevail, what does that mean? It doesn't mean he wasn't stronger. It meant he saw that Jacob wasn't going to give up. Needed an answer. What do you want from me? I want you to bless me. What's your name? It's Jacob. And in that night of wrestling with God, this is what's declared over him. You are no longer Jacob, but you are Israel prince with God because you have wrestled and have prevailed his name was changed and then the man touched his thigh and made him walk with a limp his identity was changed and his walk was changed and he was ready to go meet Esau because in a moment of doubt and despair he got alone with God where God could speak to him talk to him and change him and made him into a new man that could face the problem that were before him. How do you engage your doubt? You don't do it by human reasoning. You don't do it by rationalization. You don't talk to other unbelievers. Get alone with God. He said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. There's a way to get alone with God and stay there and wrestle with him until the answer comes. um, I'm just going to tell you, there have been times in my life that I've been really ticked off with God. I had an elderly lady say to me once, well, I've never been angry at God. That may be true, because I don't think she's ever angry at anybody. Um, But I can't say that. And I've said some things to God that were kind of harsh. And you know what? He didn't kill me. But he did. He did. Is he started to wrestle with me? Come on, are you hearing me? He started to wrestle with me. God, I need an answer. And I wasn't literally rolling around on the floor, but I'm telling you, inside, I was desperate. God, I need to see something. I need to understand something. I can't keep doing this. This doesn't make sense. I don't even know if I believe. And as we're wrestling together, all I can tell you is as I began to pour out my pain and frustration and sorrow, that he began to pour in not judgment and condemnation and the hot coals of hell. He began to pour in the oil of the balm of Gilead he replaced sorrow with joy and all of a sudden something begins to change as my eyes are opened and I begin to see things I hadn't seen before I'm telling you that if you'll take time with your doubts to engage them and say yes I'm mad yes I don't understand I don't even know what I believe right now that he will show up and a man will wrestle with you in those moments and when he is done you'll have a new name and a new walk and you'll have victory over your doubts because you've engaged them and wrestled in relationship with God until you received an answer. Engage them. Engage them. Doubting Thomas, that's just mean. He makes one mistake that all of us have made and we call him the doubter. He said to the disciples Except I see the prints of the nails in his hands and feet. I will not believe. And Jesus appears. You see, he missed the first meeting. He missed the first meeting. He denies that God did anything at that meeting because he wasn't there. Do you see how arrogant that is? It's not really God unless I'm there. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother message. And Jesus appears and says, Thomas, you are an evil pagan. You can't believe. After all that I've done and been through, you don't believe. Get out of the room and don't come back. Do you know what he did? That is not at all. What did he do? Thomas, come here. I heard what you said. Put your fingers here. Put your finger here. Put your hand in my side. Be not faithless but believing. He's saying to Thomas, I will give you whatever you need in order to believe if you will just come to me. If you will come to me, and I'm telling you, in your place of doubt, in your place of fear, in your place of despair, he has everything you need in order to believe. If you will come to him, he'll put your finger in his hand. He'll put your hand in his side and say, you don't have to doubt. I'll give you what you need. And then he says, watch. Watch. Because he's not done. He's going to move him. He says, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a new place for you to walk. Right now, I've let you see. I've let you touch. But there's a place now to walk where you don't have to see in order to believe. I had a period in my life in high school, our life at home was, was horrible. It was a terrible time of living and I was doubting whether I even was a believer and I remember being in my room and I, I said, Jesus, if you're real, would you just give me a sign Would you just give me an answer? Would you let me see you? Like, you know, just a little writing on the wall would be nice. Or an angel in the sky. But I'll hold on to that for the rest of my life. If you'll just let me see something, I'll hold on to that. I'll know I need something. And in my mind, I remembered a story that I'd heard in church. Church. Missionary told in, a, in, a, in another nation about watching his son play in the yard. And the father saw his son under the tree and said, Son, run to me now. Run to me now. And without a question, the son bolted forward. And ran to him and looked back and saw a boa constrictor dropping out of the tree that was about to drop on him. If his son had hesitated for a moment, the snake would have been wrapped around him. And I heard God say to me, I could see that story played out in my mind. And I heard him say, if I have to give you a sign... For you to believe in me for the rest of your life, I will have to direct you with a sign. But I want you to be in a place, and I heard the verse of scripture come into my head from the book of Psalms where he says, I will guide you with mine eye. I want you to be able to know my expression and respond immediately because there are moments where that will save your life. I'm telling you that he wants to move us from a place where we need to have a sign to a place that we trust him because now we've walked through some things in relationship with him. How did that work out for Thomas? Did he change from that moment on? Well, I don't know exactly, and I've read histories of how the apostles all died, and they are just that histories, apocryphal stories. We don't have any way to verify them. But Christian tradition tells us And it seems to be fairly reliable that after the resurrection that Thomas began to preach the gospel, and this one that said, except I see, I will not believe, took the gospel as far east as India. And in the nation of India, he was having such an influence in leading Hindus and Buddhists to Christ that the government wanted to stop him because of the unrest it was creating. And sent four soldiers out to find him. And when they did, they ran him through with a spear and, and left him to die. I think he was a different Thomas than he was in that room. Yes. Come on, are you with me? Yes. Don't tell me that you can't move on. If you'll engage your doubts, he will engage with you and lead you to a place of strength. I read an article from the Gospel Coalition that I want to go through really quickly, Seven Ways to Deal with Doubt. And a couple of comments I want to make, they're not on the slides. If you want those, I can send them to you or you can write really fast. Number one, have mercy on those who doubt. We need to have room for that. Number two, realize that doubt is often the birth pangs of deepened faith. Doubt is often the birth pangs of a deepened faith. goes on to say, that is why our most significant doubt... Often comes, listen to this, our most significant doubt often comes during our 20s and 30s. But this is not a bad thing. We all need to consider that the truths we espouse might be wrong in order to embrace our faith more deeply. Such doubt often results in a stronger faith. And I've said it this way. That truth that is not wrestled with is rarely assimilated. Understand that it is a process. Number three, be ready to live with the mystery. There are some things you won't understand. Number four, make sure you keep the main things the main things. Number five, live according to the faith you do have. Number six, and I like this one, doubt your doubts. Why do we assume that the thing we're doubting is what should be doubting? Maybe it's not the thing we're doubting that should be doubting. Maybe it's our doubts that we should doubt. Who's on first? And number seven, work out the sin in your life. Sometimes it's coming because we don't want to believe because of where we are living. The author said, I found that there are primarily two types of doubters. The first are walking away from God and believe they're finding freedom. The second feel they're walking away from their faith and are deeply disturbed about it. The difference with the second is they're always facing God, crying out with arms outstretched for him to help. Thankfully, in most cases, these doubters eventually return to their faith. The Bible says ask seek and knock. If you're going to engage your doubts, ask seek and knock. What did Jesus say? Ask and it will be given you. We think that that means I need finances, I need a miracle, I need healing, but I think it applies to our doubt. Ask for an answer and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Because everyone that asks receives. Those that engage their doubt will find answers, will find solutions, will find doors open that God will provide for them. Embrace it, but engage it. And come to a better place of spiritual health. So last, what do we do with our doubt? You embrace it, you engage it to you get a new name and a new walk. But that's not all. We need to begin to employ our doubts. We need to begin to employ our doubts. That should be empl- employ. There we go, good, employ. They're tricking me back there. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. For what purpose? So that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What's the greatest comfort I've ever had? That's when I've been in that place of darkness and I don't have an answer and he comes through. I had someone a couple of weeks ago in my office asking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and why I believe in that and my story is the same. It's not because I was taught it, it's not because I needed it to get credentials, it's not because it allowed me to be a member of an elite squad. It's because during the time of our son's cancer treatment for 3 months, Carol and I, at different times, were making two round trips, four round trips between us back and forth to Iowa City, and then I'd get home on Saturday exhausted, tired, broken, and I'd have to preach. And I would walk in the front of the auditorium every Saturday night, and my prayer started for three months, started this way. God, I'm tired, and I don't want to do this. And the best thing you could do for me is send a blizzard so no one can come to church tomorrow because right now if they come I will hurt them Anybody know what I'm saying you're looking at me like pagan I will hurt them because I don't care but I know I'm not in the right place And I would I'd walk and I'd start to pray in tongues you can pray in tongues like that. Oh, yeah, it's a gift. And once you understand it, you can walk in it anywhere you need it. And I walked, pray, and every single Saturday night, Jesus came by and lifted that load and refreshed me and gave me a fresh word so I could go into the pulpit clean on Sunday morning and do what he had called me to do and fulfill the calling on my life. Why? Because he is faithful. And I said to this lady, I believe in tongues because it saved my life. It was my life preserver for a number of months. And so you'll never talk me out of it. You'll never confess Convince me it's not for everyone. You'll never convince me it's just a little trinket adornment on the bride of Christ. It is a tool for the kingdom. It is life-saving, and you may need that. And I'm passionate about it because it was there in my despair and doubt that I found a solution that got me through to the other side. And I'll employ those moments with others who struggle and say, I was where you are. I've been in that spot. I've been broken in that place. But I'm telling you you of a God who comforted me and lifted me up. And I will walk with you. And he'll do for you what he did for me. If you'll trust him and begin to seek him, he will lift you up. I don't need an answer from someone who's never had pain. When I'm in pain, I want an answer from someone who's been in that pain. And says, I know there's a way through it. And I will walk with you to the other side. Come on, there's got to be somebody in the house. <laughs> employ it people i understand people are funny aren't they aren't people a wonderful creation i can't tell you over the years how many times people have said to me well you grew up in a preacher's home <laughs> well my dad was preaching but his words weren't the sunday school words And his communion wasn't a little cup of juice, I'm just telling you. (laughs) They make assumptions. And they see us where we are. And some of you have had the same thing happen where they see you where you are and they assume you've never had a struggle. And they assume they can't get where you are because you don't have a clue where they are. No, no, embrace your doubts, engage your doubts, and then sit with them and say, Here's who I was. Here's who I was. Here's the road I walked. And someone asked me why, people ask why I'm still dealing with these physical issues. Why hasn't God healed me? And I don't know the answer to that, but I will tell you that there are certain people that will be able to relate to others because they trusted God in the fire rather than to be lifted out of the fire. Are you hearing me right now? You can make it. You don't have to be free of your doubts. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be completely whole. You don't have to have everything fixed before you can say, I've met him and I trust him and he's worth walking with. I want to hear from somebody that's been comforted, someone that's been in that place of pain, someone that's been in that place of struggle. Use those for the building of the lives of others. It's an amazing story the disciples are gathered in a closed room for fear of the Jews and Jesus appears to them when you pick on Thomas you got to read all of it they're in fear Jesus appears I'm telling you what if you weren't afraid then and somebody appears in the middle of the room you're going to be afraid now and they were afraid until he did what (laughs) he did for all of them what he did for Peter, or what he did for Thomas. We pick on Thomas, but they all needed that. He showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And they were overjoyed. Sometimes people want to meet somebody who's not afraid to show their scars. I've been there too. And I will walk with you. Share your victories. Jesus' scars weren't from doubt, but from spiritual battle. But it became the bridge for them from fear to joy. Employ your doubts, put them to work. That's what will make them not return. Embrace them, engage them, and then employ them. And we will change the lives of people around us. Faith deconstructs when doubt prevails. Pastor Nathan, if you'll come. We don't help people when we pretend that we never have doubts. So I'd ask you, do you know of someone that needs to come back? Be a safe place for them and help them find the answers they need. They are out there, but they'll never find the answers they need if it isn't safe to ask the questions and if nobody has any scars. If nobody has any scars, are you in a place of doubt? Something you're struggling with? It's okay. It's okay. In fact, I, I would demand that you get in a connect group where life gets shared, where there's time to talk about, yeah, I've been there too. Yeah, I know what, you're, and I would never say to someone, I know what you're going through because we're all different, but I went down a similar road and I can tell you what my road looked like. We can share our stories, we can do life together. But I want this to be a place where you don't have to be perfect, faith-filled, full of love and power, but a place where I'm struggling and you're struggling, but we still love one another in the journey because we're gonna own embrace our doubts. We're going to engage them to find answers. And then we're gonna employ them to bring people back into the place of the kingdom. So if you're doubting your faith this morning, if you're doubting Jesus, if you're doubting whether he cares, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. And as we worship, if you'll engage him, he'll give you the answers you need or lead you on that journey. Let's stand together and can we take a few minutes just to worship the God who loves us and the God who gives faith.
2: take the heart and soul Oh. same
1: times I've heard someone say he who's walked away I couldn't keep pretending that I believed that it's such a good place to be stop pretending let's all stop pretending I said let's all stop pretending and let's start seeking you will search for me and you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. And my challenge to you is if you know of someone who's walked away, don't go browbeat them, just go walk with them. God's gonna send you to walk with them and help them find answers. I believe there's a whole generation of people that need to be reached for the kingdom, amen. If you love the Lord this morning, let me hear your hands. God bless you. Thank you for your faithful financial support, your investment, your investment in connect groups and the ministries that are happening here. It takes so many people to keep God's work moving forward. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Let God open your eyes to somebody that needs your touch.